Hey there, it's me, Amy. I am so excited for this episode today because it is covering a topic that I think we all need and don't often even think to ask about. So today's episode is for anyone who's ever wanted to help or needed help, but wasn't sure what to offer or what to ask for. Hi there, I'm Amy. I'm a mom, a natural food chef, and the host of the Feel Good Family Food Podcast. Just like you, I have more to do in a day than could possibly get done and kids who say their favorite foods are things like gummy bear, pretzel, of course, maggie, ice cream, yummy. On this podcast, I'm using my 10 years of professional food experience plus real-world nutrition to help real parents more easily feed their families healthy food more often. Stick with me for tips, tricks, and actionable steps to start feeling good about feeding your family. My guest today is Janet Ellsbach, and she's the author of Extra Helping, which is a book all about helping people with food. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about the book, and then we're going to ask some questions. But just want to let you know what to expect in today's episode. Throughout the episode, we're going to cover things like what does it mean to be a generous home cook? Um, How does one manage a life that includes caregiving and care receiving? This is something I'm super interested in, and I think all of us have either been through this or will go through it at some point. So it's a really apt conversation for us parents. And then I am really excited to talk to Janet about any tips on recipes that you can gift and keep well. So kind of the logistics of giving food, which I know is often a stopping point for many of us. I want to do something and I want to cook something, but I'm not sure what we'll keep and what will be good and what they want and those kinds of things. So towards the end of the episode, we're going to dig into that and then let you know where you can find Janet. So let's dive in. All right, Janet, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. Me too. So um, before we dive into this conversation around like how can we be a better help to people, I'd love to hear more about your journey to writing a book about helping people with food. Like what was the genesis of help and food and what in your life brought this together to inspire you to write this? So it was really two threads uh, unspooling it kind of parallel and crisscrossing, I would say. I've always been a writer. I've always been interested in writing just really since earliest childhood. That's what I wanted to do. And I was invited by a good friend to participate in a women's writer's evening that she was hosting. And I didn't really have anything since a children's book that I had published a long time ago when I was in my twenties. I didn't really have anything out there I was writing on my own, but nothing really out in the world. So um, a friend of mine said, this was sort of at the early days, days of blogging, just start a blog. That's what everybody's doing. And I said, well, what would I, I don't even know what I would blog about. And she said, well, everybody wants to know what you're having for dinner. Just write about that. So that really did seem like something I would have something to say about because dinner did happen every day. And so I started (laughs) a blog and this was in 2011, I think. And, um, that naturally led to some more writing. And uh, when the time came to write a book, I noticed it was time to write a book because again, my community of friends um, said, it's time that you write a book. (laughs) And I, again, appealed to them to tell me what that ought to be about. And they said, well, um, it was one friend in particular who kind of zeroed in and said, it's the way you bring food when people are, you know, down in some way, the way that you show up in that way that I think people want to know more about. And that really started me on a path to thinking about how, how it could all come together. And then this idea of presenting the information in terms of life situations 
a birth, a death, an illness, that it all kind of gelled at that point. So I had this group of people that was just saying, it's time to write a book. You know how friends will sort of raise a bar for you or sort of say, it's time for you to, to do this. And then um, it was really out of community that the idea came together. And then parallel in my life over the same period of time, I had some very close family members who were going through pretty serious illness. Um, so the idea of showing up for people with food became a, a really like core issue in my life. Um, and the twin of that, which I think we'll get to later in the conversation, is receiving help from other people because I was able to show up for those people in my life because I had to learn very quickly how to let other people show up for me. Um, yeah, uh, I'm so glad you brought up this learning to let people show up for you. Uh, longtime listeners will know that I lost my dad last year after a two-year battle with brain cancer, and um, it's no joke being able to ask for help and even receive help when you haven't asked for it and not feel like, oh, how am I ever going to repay this person? Because of course, mm -hmm. your friends who are showing up are not doing it for any sort of repayment. They're doing it out of love. But I found that to be a really challenging, under-talked about piece of the puzzle. It's a really steep learning curve. And especially if you have been oriented towards showing up for other people, one, you probably have deluded yourself into thinking that you understand the inverse, receiving mm -hmm. it. And it's probably not something you've honed. <laughs> um, and it's, it really is a, it's a, that to me, that's, I can give you all kinds of tips and tricks and recipes for how you show up for other people, but the, the real transformative work is learning how to be showed up for, mm -hmm. um, because that among other things, not only does it keep you in the game to show up for the people that you're caring for, but it changes the way that you do that. You know, the receiving help has really been the most educational part for me of how I help other people. Mm -hmm. Because there may be a whole host of things that you've gone along accumulating in your life, these ideas that this is what people need and this is how I do it and this is what I bring. And then you maybe encounter that situation yourself or something parallel and you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I should be a little more curious about how I'm showing up here because it turns out <laughs> in this situation, I want something different. So maybe other people do too. So it's just, it's a, it's a, a constantly evolving education for me to both the giving and the receiving. A hundred percent. And that's why I was so excited when you reached out about having this conversation, because to me, um, this is just a chance to learn. And we certainly don't have all the answers. We have our own experiences. You have this beautiful book, which we're going to talk more about as we go along. Cause I love, you mentioned how you divided things up by phase of life. And I just think that's ingenious because what someone wants when they have a baby is different when the, what they want when they're ailing and you're supporting someone who's going through cancer treatment. Right. So I love that concept, but I think let's start there with saying, this is just about sharing some of what we've been through, some of the resources that Janet has for us, and maybe opening your eyes to getting more curious about how you can help and how you can let others help, which, like I said, was one of the harder parts for me. I think it was also eye-opening for me that I realized I thought I was showing up for people, but I don't think I was doing it in a way that was most useful. So can we talk a little bit about like, what have you found now having done this yourself, having received help yourself, and then having written a book about this. So undoubtedly encountering a lot of people who either need help or want to receive help mm -hmm. uh, or want to give help. What, um, what have you found are like the main best steps that folks can take to find out what someone needs and then show up in a way that's really meaningful? I would say without question, it's curiosity. 
Mm. It's, it's letting go of any notion you have of what ought to be the right thing and being open to being guided by what the, what the person wants or needs. And obviously you can't always have that, but the proliferation of online tools is one thing that has been a real boon to this because it's much easier if you're the recipient filling out a, Oh, I'm blanking on the names, but you know, the meal train, meal meal train, train kind of information. Yeah. It's much easier to, to just sort of type in my little one is allergic to tree nuts. I hate potatoes and my husband doesn't like cheese than it is to communicate that directly that, that, that sort of the anonymous feature of the internet allows you to be a little bit more honest, allows recipients to be a little bit more honest than they might be directly. Cause if someone shows up and says, I'm going to bring you my famous lasagna and you happen to know that you've got a gluten-free, dairy-free, tomato-reversed household, it's very hard to say, well, actually. So I think, um, first of all, getting back to it, curiosity is really central. Like Finding out what is actually wanted, craved, desired, um, what, what people's likes and dislikes are, is, is really helpful. And it informs the way you go to the next person too, because you may have learned something from this person's appetite or um, preferences that will inform the way that you show up for other people. So I think just being willing to ask if that's available in that situation, what are you hungry for? Those online tools also let you see that the, yours would be the seventh in the month of lasagnas. Yeah. And you might be like, oh, maybe not. Maybe we'll go in a different direction with that. Um, and it, that involves also letting go a little bit of ego, being able to be curious, accept that you might not know, accept that you're going to be schooled a little bit and, um, and just informed by what people are hungry for. Yeah. Do you have a favorite starting question? So I think we've talked some about like, if a meal train exists, I, I would say from my experience, go to that because what the person needs is not more work. So if someone has done the work of consolidating mm-hmm. the effort, then please just plug into that. Don't feel like you need to make a big deal of your effort. It is noticed and appreciated, even if nothing is ever said, right? So that would be my tip is like, go with the path of least resistance. But mm-hmm. I think there is sometimes this starting point. Like I am so grateful for my friend who was thoughtful enough to say, this family needs a meal train right now, because I would have never even thought to ask for that. And I certainly wouldn't have felt comfortable asking for it. Is there any language that you found that really works when because one of the things I've found that doesn't work, both from having received it and having done it plenty of times, so no shame mm-hmm. here, is being like, oh, let me know if there's any way I can help. Oh, yes. That's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. I, I, that question really stands out. Like, let me know if there's anything I can do. And when you're, you know, in, in the, I think I said in the book, like at the bottom of one of life's sand traps, it, the likelihood that you're going to identify a particular thing and match it to someone's skill set and then be willing to reach out to them and see if they're available is... You know, it's pretty hilarious to think about that. <laughs> so I I always say to be really specific. If you are on a meal train and you are looking for questions or like open and conversational openers for that, I just always ask what people are hungry for. Is there anything you're hungry for? Is there anything you're craving? Um, that, you know, just a question like that. But in terms of broader help, I always often find that offering something with that openness is is a better move than... Um, let me know if there's anything I can do. Like, for example, I'm running errands today. Um, do you need anything picked up at the store, returned, taken to the post office? You know, yeah. something really specific. And that often will, even if they don't need something along those particular lines, it often like will jog their thinking and be like, oh my God, you know, I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, but we've got this pile of dress shirts that just have to get to the cleaners. Or 
you know, something like that, or I'm walking dogs today. Can I, you know, and if you know, if you know, even a little bit about what their life is like, it's, it's pretty likely you can think of some particular thing, or if you live in the same area, you know, I'm going past whatever, can I pick something up for you? I love that. And I was listening to a Gretchen Rubin. She runs the happiness podcast. I think it's what it's called. Mm-hmm. I'll link to the episode because she had on a stage for cancer survivor, sort of like mm-hmm. in the middle of her battle. And she's a mom. And she was sharing that one of the things that she loved about exactly what you just said of, Hey, I'm going somewhere. Can I do this? Is that like, you're already there. So it doesn't feel like going out of your way. And there is exactly. a fine art to giving in a way that doesn't feel so big that the receiver feels guilty about needing it, receiving it. And so she gave the example of like, I'm at Target right now. Is there anything you need that I can drop off at your house? Like I'm already here, not going out of my way. (laughs) Um, Basically, I mean, I think I put it in the book. Like if if it almost seems like that by asking you, they're they're almost doing you a favor. Look, I'm in Target already. Totally. (laughs) What, like, just make my time worthwhile. What do you need? Um, and, And help them by, you know, making it clear that there's no limits. It's whether it's tampons or cat litter or whatever it is that yeah. you're, that you're willing to do that. Um, yeah. I think that's really helpful. I love that. So we've talked about like the offer and then we've started talking about like things like meal train and food. Um, but you use this term that I want to dig into. You say, um, a generous home cook. So can you tell me a little bit about like, what does it mean to be a generous home cook? I think folks who are listening, who are listening to this podcast about food are obviously home cooks themselves, but what does it mean to be generous with that? Well, I like to think about, um, there's a woman who, um, after she read, I think she read the book or something I posted and she said, well, I could never do what you do. The only thing I know how to make is brownies. And I said, well, then be the person who makes brownies. You don't have to, the the idea to me of being a generous home cook is not necessarily having to reach beyond what you already know how to do. In her case, it was particularly limited. She only made, like in her life, she only made brownies. She obviously lived somewhere where takeout was available, but, um, but try to just extend what you're already doing to include the other person's as a, as a participant so that it's not like, Oh, I, I think it it becomes kind of a barrier. Like you're saying like, Oh, I don't know how to cook for those, you know, I'm not a chef. I can't, well, you're obviously eating because you're alive. You're obviously doing something for your own sustenance. Make two, just make a second pan, just expand what you're, what you're already doing and let that flow to the other person rather than looking at it as you have to acquire this whole new skill set. You have to amass this whole body of knowledge. You don't, you just have to do what you're already doing because even if in an imperfect world, you've made something, you have made the seventh lasagna and showed up with it to a lasagna saturated household, that it still has value. It still has like this really nutritive quality, which is that for the whole time that you were doing that, sourcing the thing, putting it together, taking it over to their house, you were thinking about them. And even, even if they have to put it in the freezer or give it to their uncle or whatever it is, they can't, they really can't use it. That nourishing quality stays in what you've done. So there's no, to me, there's, there's almost nothing you could offer that would be not helpful in, in at least that minimal way. And I think when people are looking for a way to get, to take a first step, which I think you pointed out in, um, in our pre-conversation, it's pretty daunting. You know, people have dietary restrictions, especially if there's illness or something going on. Like 
it can be paralyzing. Like, I don't know what to bring them. Um, just start with what you already know how to do and make two <laughs> because yeah. by, by doing that, I mean, that's in a way the most nourishing thing you can offer. This is what my family's having for dinner and I made some extra for you. And then you'll learn something from that if you're, you know, if you're curious about how it landed for them, but you've, you've offered them something pretty significant when you do that. And you've also done it in such a way, like sort of what we're talking about, about, you know, running errands for people. Nobody wants to feel like your family's going to have bread crust and the bottom of the peanut butter jar because you've brought them this incredible meal that you've, you know, had to spend two weeks learning how to make. If it feels comfortable to you, it'll be received so much more comfortably. Nobody wants to feel like you've like tossed up on their doorstep and you're giving them your left kidney. Yes. (laughs) Something you can offer with grace is going to be received with grace, I think. So don't feel like you have to make a souffle and figure out how to bake it in your car on the way to their house. Like do something that feels comfortable and simple for you and, and it'll probably land better. Yeah. This resonates with me so much because when I think back on what we received, you know, my dad was keto during his battle and that's a really tricky thing, less and less every day now, but at the time it was not sort of, everyone didn't know what it was, but it didn't matter whether someone showed up with something keto or not. You know, people Mm -hmm. got us pizza delivery and, you know, they sent other things, but it turns out yes, my dad needed to eat, but we sort of had that covered, right? He was our priority. Mm -hmm. I think we often underestimate that the rest of the family needs to eat, that they aren't Mm -hmm. taking care of themselves. And while they may not be the entire focus, no one could take care of my dad the way that we could, right? We didn't need anyone to come take care of him. What we needed was some space and care for us. A friend sent me a massage, like someone showed up at the house and did a massage for me, which was like mind blowing. First of all, I didn't know that service existed. And second of all, wow, that is what I needed was to not need to leave the house. I didn't need to do anything. I literally did not need to do anything after my kids were asleep. And I think that's just another example of like, if it feels too daunting, then order takeout from their favorite place. Like, I think we make it so complicated and I've been there and I've done that and I still do that. But kind of from the other side, my lesson was don't make it so complicated. Just show up and keep showing up in small meaningful ways, because I love what you said. And it is exactly spot on for my experiences. The most important thing is that they know that you're thinking about them and supporting them in some way. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't show that through your words. So you can show it through your actions, right? You don't know what to say, but you can show up with brownies. Yeah. Several people touched on this when I was talking to people in the process of writing the book that a lot of people have kind of a, a list in their head of the people that just vanished from their lives when they were going through something difficult, a loss like yours or an illness or something like that. There's this feeling that you've just sort of slipped into an alternative universe. And it's the people who stay there, who who maybe show up and say, I, don't, I have no idea what you need or what to do or what to say, but I don't want to disappear. I, I want you to know I'm here. That's so compelling. And it's, and it's, you know, the, the wounds that people carry from people who just like poof, vanished from their lives or they feel like they've been, a, you, you know, as the, as the person who's supporting your dad or whatever it is that you're going through that you've just sort of disappeared. Nobody's, you know, that you're not seen, I think is really, um, you know, that's what we should all be kind of working to contain because it's a big square dance at a certain point, that person that you don't know how to show up for, you're going to be in their role at some point. Um, and so it's, it, it, 
it all works out. The, the, the karmic math to me always works out. Like you said, people aren't showing up to be rewarded in any way and you don't show up. I think for the most part, people don't show up in that sort of calculated way, but there's just this deep understanding that it'll all come around <laughs> that we're trying to build communities where we catch each other as we're falling because other people are going to fall. You know, it'll, it'll just, it, the roles are constantly fluid. Well, and the truth is we're all going to go through something, right? That yeah. is just life. And some of them are good, hard things. And some of them are bad, hard things. And some of them are just hard things, but we're all going to go through something. And I, I love how you're saying it. It's like, it's not about tit for tat. It's not like I'm going to show up so they show up for me. It's about building that culture and community that mm-hmm. shows up for each other because we're all going to need it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we all deserve and need and will need to live in a community where that is the reality. I had this funny, I'm just thinking about this as we're talking. Um, there was a woman um, who I, I, I didn't know her super well, but you know, she was kind of on my daily circuit. It was a place that I usually stopped and I knew that her husband was quite ill. So she was running the business kind of on her own and she just was completely frazzled. And I looked at her one day and I said, what do you, what do you need? And I, something about the, like the stars aligned in such a way. And she looked at me, she's like, I have no underwear. I have no clean underwear because she was running from the store to the hospital to, you know, trying to get all the plates spinning. And it was just, it was such a gift to be able to show up for her. Like, it's so easy. I just like ran to wherever, wherever was open and I got her a bunch of under clean underwear and I dropped it off. And it was just like, ah, you know, like that we, especially if you tend to show up for people and it's hard for you to have help, just remember that feeling. Like it's so satisfying when you can like, dot the I for someone or like get the thing done. Like you're offering them something too. It's not, uh, you're not burdening people when you're allowing them to show up for you. It's really satisfying to be able to provide that. Yeah. I think that's such an important reminder. Um, so one of the things that we talked about ahead of time that I want to make sure we talk about for folks is, you know, I think most of my listeners are kind of on like the younger side. And I would say most of my friends are also on the younger side of we have young kids a lot of us haven't been through the big things yet, losing mm-hmm. a parent. Like I definitely feel like I was on kind of the front end of that in my group of friends and community and stuff. So I want to make sure we don't gloss over some wisdom around how does one manage a life that includes caregiving and care receiving? Because like we just said before, it's inevitable that we're all going to be there at some point, right? And that is the reality of the world mm-hmm. that we live in. So what what are your lessons learned from yourself and others of like, what does it look like to kind of that ebb and flow? And how do you give yourself grace? Do you have any words of wisdom around that? Uh, well, first of all, I would say for, you know, for your cohort who are caring for young children, having been there, that is caregiving. That is not the precursor. <laughs> Good to point. <laughs> you know, that's not an, another stage of life coming where you learn about that. That's the trenches of learning about caregiving and about prioritizing your own needs. You know, that sort of oxygen mask, Thing where you you've got to do the thing for you because you can't drive the carpool if you're you know in bed. So right. all of that is is the training ground for the other kinds of showing up that are are going to be required. And you're probably in a, a group of people that's having babies and you know having that that kind of caregiving is not exclusive to illness or loss or anything like that. That um, that I remember very clearly having a first baby versus having a second baby when we had our first. I was, it was that experience of feeling like I sort of disappeared because I didn't really know other people with children. Yes. 
And it never occurred to me really that we were going to need to be fed. you know. <laughs> and that, so the subsequent children, it was like a revelation. Like there's this network of people around you who, who understand what it's like to be shown up for in that way. And I would hope to just, you know, from my vantage point, my kids are grown, but um, to be able to say like, you don't have to do all the things. It's a really important part of what you're modeling for your kids too. Um, accepting that kind of help that the, the kind of communities we want them to grow up in um, are the kinds where help is offered across, yeah. you know, across doorsteps basically. Um, but keeping it super, super simple. Like I said, like not feeling like, Oh my God, I've got to, you know, cram making this gourmet meal into the two hours between drop off and pick up or the pediatrician appointment or whatever. Just if your guys are having baked potatoes for dinner, bake five more potatoes and, and have that be what you bring, but to just, there's so much like, um, we put ourselves under so much pressure. Like we have to appear like we've got it all together. We need to make it clear that all these people should understand that what we're having are these perfect macrobiotic, keto, paleo, gorgeous meals. And they, people are people. We're all people. So if 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 anyone wants evidence, that's not what we're eating at my house. You can check out my Instagram story feed because on there it's like, I mean, there are red bell peppers next to the macaroni and cheese, but there is definitely macaroni and cheese on the table. That's nice. Right? You got a fall colors thing going on there. <laughs> totally. the yeah, that's good. Um, so so did Tupperware, by the way, because it goes in the fridge more easily and it's not yeah. an extra dish to wash. So, <laughs> um, but so I would say just it's not a, some future point that you'll get to where you begin to understand caregiving. If you're in the in the thick of the your kids' young lives, you're you're doing it. You're doing all the juggling. You're doing all the managing and prioritizing other people's needs in your own and oxygen mask, you know, triage, all that kind of stuff. Those are the skills that you're going to need. And just to be a little more forgiving towards yourself um, and, and understand that when you say like doing it manageably, be pretty flexible in terms of how you Mm -hmm. define manageable, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, manageable sometimes looks like all the plates are spinning. And sometimes it looks like make a little note that we're going to need a cleanup on aisle seven yes. when all this like is done. Yes. Uh, you know? Yes. And, and I think okay. there's no shame in that. I love that. And you mentioned something around like showing up for people as they're having babies too. I love that idea of that as a training ground and also like the most beautiful kind of help you can receive because the other kind is hard. It's hard to show up for people when they're going through the hardest time of their lives mm-hmm. and losing loved ones and all that. But there's no reason we can't be showing up for each other in joyous times too. Right. Totally. And some of the easy things I've done for people is like, I'll go to Trader Joe's and get all the really good snacks. Cause now that I've been a mom twice, I know that like what you actually need is not a meal. You're probably not going to eat it, but you might mm-hmm. eat a quick bread that I make along with some trail mix and dried fruit and, mm-hmm. you know, pretzels and like those easy to grab things. So like, I don't even make most of the stuff that I give people. It's just this like packaging up of care, mm-hmm. um, showing them that I'm there and I'm available and that if they need something else, but also keeping it manageable for me so that I continue doing it. Right. And I think there's also like, um, I was thinking about this dynamic earlier of the longer you get in a struggle with like caring for someone, um, you know, like in my dad's struggle, it's harder for people to keep showing up because now it's been two years and they're like, this still going on. But I think second babies on the flip side are kind of like that too. Like people are like, well, you got this because you already have a kid. But it's like, it's a good reminder, I think, to all of us of something that I've learned, which is to keep showing up for people. And maybe doing it in those small bite-sized ways that you're talking about, just making extra makes it more sustainable for the long term. Because in our lives, month one is no easier than month 23, right? In fact, it's probably harder. Um, 
So just another thought that came up for me. Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on too, with that idea of the massage, like obviously I've written a book about how to show up for people with food. Food is something I think a lot about almost all the time, but oh, same, um, same. <laughs> but, but time is a really important feature of that. And just, especially if you do are in a stage where you're mostly around young kids and everything, if you can offer someone just an hour to recharge their batteries, if they're in the thick of something, um, the gift of time is just this, it's, it's almost the simplest thing that you can offer, especially if you are in the thick of life with young children or um, anything that might compromise your ability to show up with some beautiful meal, fold their kids into your kids' lives for a couple hours and let them just go stare at a body of water, or, um, you know, get their nails done or go to the optometrist or whatever they've been putting off because they're taking care of somebody else. Yeah. You know, anything like that, um, I think is, is really huge. Obviously I'm pretty oriented towards food. And I do believe that if you've gotten through anything, you've eaten something and if you can optimize what you're eating, you'll probably get through it a little more comfortably, a little, a little more happily, but, um, it can be, um, it can be just the simplest gesture. And it just, it, what we're really talking about, but when we're talking about showing up with food is this idea of just showing up. Yes. Uh, and yeah. that food is just the common denominator. There's, there's, we, we don't know too much about other people's experience, but it's pretty safe to assume if they got from the beginning of it to the end of it, they ate something. Yes. Uh, so yes. So, so let's focus in on the food because this is the perfect opportunity to dive in more to that. Because I think the stopping point, one, we've already covered a lot, which is I don't have the time. I don't know what to make, but I love your book. I'm holding it up. This isn't an ad for Janet's book, but I, seriously, this book made me cry. I, it's so beautifully written. Like I think people aren't used to maybe cookbooks having such wonderful stories, but there's really like a nice narrative and this, the food is almost secondary, dare I say about your cookbook. Well, I would, I'd be the first person to say that because (laughs) I did, we talked about, I sort of divided it up by life, sort of moments in your life where these things might be relevant, but the, the recipes are kind of arbitrarily, I mean, I put a lot of thought into it, but if you're, you know, if you're a person, you're always, you're always looking towards the sort of the ecology of the particular person you're taking care of. And so what I've put under the heading of what people want when they've had a baby may not be relevant to them, but the conversely, some of the things in that chapter might be really useful if you're looking after someone who's going through cancer treatment. Um, so I, I think the recipes have a kind of fluid, um, yeah. application. And it's really more about that element of curiosity and what this person is hungry for. And you, you figuring out what this particular situation calls for. Um, now I lost your question. No, I, I was just, I was just saying that, you know, I think this, this book, like I would recommend to folks who are feeling like they have some basic kitchen skills. They have a little bit of time they can give they even might know what the person wants, but they're stuck. And this is where I often hear people get stuck in my audience is like, what's going to keep well, or what can Mm -hmm. I make in a big batch for them? Or what could I freeze so that they have it for a long time? And one of the things I loved about the book, including just the beautiful writing and the beautiful layout, I got to talk to you after this about who laid this out (laughs) for you, because it is so gorgeous. It's really simple. There's no food pictures, which I actually kind of love because it's really about like the words and the design and the recipes and all that. But one of the things I love is that, first of all, you use a lot of whole, real, unprocessed ingredients, which are big for us here at Feel Good Family Food. But then you give lots of really practical tips, like, 
oh, this could go in the freezer or you could make this ahead of time. And so I think for the next part of this interview, I want to drive, dive into some of the really practical things. We can talk about some of the recipes you put in here, but at maybe a macro level, like what are some of the best things for those of us who don't have like a deep, deep kitchen knowledge? Um, what are some of the best things that like work well for situations like this? And you've mentioned things like baked potatoes, but what do you like to make that's easy and straightforward? Well, I think soup is a great place to start talking about that because soup is very easy to make in pretty good quantity. Um, it's great to sort of stockpile against a future need. And it should be clear that when I'm talking about caregiving, one of, one of the people that you may be caring for in the future is yourself. You know, your Sunday self cooks a big batch of something so your Thursday self can have access to it. So totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in picking whatever day qualifies as Sunday in your life. Like have a day where you just do something again, bake a bunch of potatoes, make a batch of soup, make one of your quick breads, just so that is at the ready when someone needs it. And that someone again could be yourself. I always think of that. Sorry, real fast. I always think of that trick as like almost being your own personal chef. Like you trick Mm -hmm. yourself into not remembering the pain of making and cleaning it up. And I use pain loosely, Mm -hmm. like it could totally be fun, but there's a little bit of work there. Right. But on Thursday, you've forgotten all the work that went into making Mm -hmm. and cleaning that up. And you're like magic. I have these gluten-free pumpkin muffins and you know, this soup that I made. And guess what? I really need some food right now. Yeah. Like, I, thank I, you, past me. It's the best thing. Yeah, exactly. Future, future you will thank past you. Um, so you were saying soup. Yes. Soups. And that's a pretty flexible category. You can make, you know, any, anything up to like a chili or some, something, you know, super nourishing, sort of more meal worthy and have that in the freezer. And also that's something you can offer to someone. And if they, if it, if there's nobody's organized their food and it's just coming at them faster than they can consume it you can tuck that, they can tuck the soup away too, which I think is great. And a lot of baked dishes like uh, pastas and even baked rices, you you know, those can be stored in the freezer. And it's great if you give things to people kind of packed in such a way that labeled, they could just slide it into the freezer if they need to do that. Um, And what, what does that look like? Do you like to use like aluminum foil? Sorry, I'm getting real practical here, but I think these are the things that trip us up. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I spend a really stupid amount of time doing nothing like this. So it's really actually nice to be able to talk Perfect. about it. We'll learn from your work. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, I, I am really, um, I really don't like disposable containers, um, even recyclable disposable containers. So that's always kind of my last resort. And I'm always looking for ways to um, transport things and give things to people in um, something that's kind of reusable. So I love tag sales and I love mason jars, you know, tag sales where you can pick up really cheap Pyrex and mm-hmm. things like that, that you're not going to be like, that was my grandmother's dish. Will you please finish the meal I brought you so I can have it back? But I think know, that's such an important point. Like, please just it's like giving someone money or how you should treat it. Like this is not coming back to me. I'm not going to ask them about it ever because they got more important things to do. Right. So don't give something precious. Right. And, and if you are giving things that you expect to have back or need to have back label everything. So the person doesn't have to spend a minute thinking about it. Those bazillion return address labels that come in every fundraising letter that you get. Those are great for that. And painter's tape and a Sharpie, whatever, just put your initials on it, but make it clear that, and go back and get it promptly. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. like have mm-hmm. it sit on their, you know, in their entryway for 10 weeks. Um, but I love tag sales and 
you know, uh, Craigslist and places where you can just pick up someone's cleaning out their kitchen and you get a whole bunch of Pyrex. And that's just a great thing to have around. I, that said, uh, sometimes it has to go in a recyclable container, but I'm just a huge fan of labeling. Um, Sharpies are amazing. They write on just about everything, tinfoil, um, or again, a piece of painter's tape. And you can just say, this is, this is what's in it. This is how hot you need to reheat it. Um, this is the date. Yes. Putting it in the freezer. I think this is one of the things people often make so complicated, but that's one of my main tips for people cooking for themselves in their kitchen, right? Is like your family can't know what you made and actually eat it if you don't tell them what it is and not verbally when they're going to forget it, right? So painter's tape, uh, Sharpie, if it's good enough for professional kitchens, it's certainly good enough for our houses. So, um, and I love the idea of putting directions on there too, which I think is often overlooked because someone who's overwhelmed is like, or maybe doesn't have kitchen skills are like, how do I reheat this lasagna? Right. Um, so just yeah, 350, 20 minutes, you know, yeah, all that stuff I think is great to put on there. Um, mason jars are awesome because they're so cheap and reasonably durable and they have lids that close really tightly, which I've learned the hard way is a very important part of transporting food is having a lid that closes tightly. I cleaned a lot of soup out of my floor mats in my car. Mm-hmm. Um, so mason jars are great. They come in lots of shapes and sizes. You can make little baked custards and things like that in the little jam jar size ones. And, um, if you are, if your population that you're showing up for is, a, has school age kids, anything that can be translated into lunchbox food is an awesome thing to include. So when you're thinking about bringing them dinner, I always think about like, what could we put in there that would make the packing the lunch the next day a little bit easier. That was one of the things you said in the book that really stood out to me, especially for the audience listening here is like, I have never thought of oh my gosh, it must be hard to pack lunch when you are completely overwhelmed with the new baby or taking care of someone or whatever it is. So I loved that idea that you shared of just like, you know, throwing some baby carrots in or like making a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I don't know that those were your exact examples, but just the idea of being like, this will make things easier for you. And it's just like a tiny little step even further from here's dinner tonight. And to me, it's like the most magical part of the, this, the goal being to create these communities where we show up for each other Cause you really, then you've stopped in your kitchen and you've thought for a minute, like, what is this person's life actually like? Oh, my life is like that. Like, like you've made some really important connection that kind of transcends what you've put in the basket when you've paused to think about that. Like there, you know, I, somebody said to me uh, during one of these times of loss, Oh, I've never known anyone that died. And I was like, wow, well, um, it's coming <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you, you someday. Yeah. And, and she had this kind of like, that's not my life. My life isn't about that. Um, and we gain so much more when we stop and think about like, well, what do I know that would help me connect to this? Like, how could I have some kind of feeling of empathy or connection here? Um, you know, and curiosity again comes into play there, but just that idea of like, well, maybe, maybe you have skated along to this point. You've never lost anyone or been sick or had anything terrible happen to you, but you're now showing up for this person who has a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and you have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and you know, boy, when I pick that kid up at school, if I don't have a snack in the car, there's hell to pay. Right. So give them, you know, a batch of muffins or trail mix or something, you know, a bag of clementines, whatever it is, so that they're armed. And then the person goes, oh my God, she thought about that. Or he thought about that. Like that's, That's, I really feel understood. I feel met. I feel like I'm not completely alone in this bizarre landscape where I'm the only person in my age group who's dealing with a dying parent. Oh, this person is like trying to see me. Yeah. And it's just, we're just talking about a Clementine. 
Right. But it's right. like more, it's more than a clementine, you know, it's like you, if you take a little, I mean, you really almost have to do nothing. You take two little lunch bags, paper lunch bags, and you write after school snack and you put in whatever and put it in the box. And the person is just, the odds are really good. The person's going to be like, Oh, I feel seen. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You said something so important there around um, people who haven't been through this. And then I think they often lean, I have leaned on the crutch of like, oh, I don't even know what that person would need. Starting from a place of understanding them, if you care enough to care, you probably know at least a little bit about them, usually a lot. And then assuming overwhelm is the emotion in addition to anything else, whether that would be sadness or joy or any of those things. Overwhelm is something all of us experience, even in the best of times, right? So, um, you know, when I'm overwhelmed, packing lunch is annoying. You know, no one's here to do When I'm underwhelmed, <laughs> I can remember having three school-aged children when, when there was nothing in the headlines, packing lunch was still kind of annoying. And, and <laughs> great to know the person. It's also, there's something magical that can happen. Like in my example of the lady in the store, I didn't particularly know her that well. I mean, I had the kind of relationship that you have when you get a coffee there every day or whatever it was. But there is something magical when you don't know the person well, where you can say, or even this works long distance too. I, my college roommate um, was going through the loss of her husband and I, I, it was really frustrating. I was thousands of miles away, but I, I asked one of my favorite questions, which is what's the thing you're embarrassed to ask? Like, what is the thing that is driving you nuts? Like every time when you go, you finally get into bed and you're like, ah, crud, I didn't. And that is a great thing to offer. And often distance or, you know, not super familiarity can help with that in a weird kind of way. It was, it was weirdly probably easier for this woman to ask me for clean underwear than it would have been for somebody who's in her like tennis club because yeah. it, there wasn't as much sh- unnecessary shame around it. Just right. Like, of like, Oh, I can't even manage this basic thing. Right. You know, it's a feeling we've all had, but I, I love that idea of like asking what's the thing you're most embarrassed to ask for. And I've seen that with my mom, like, you know, she's now dealing with termites in this big house and like all of these things that my dad would have taken care of. And mm-hmm. there is an art to even continuing to show up because like the hard time doesn't end when the person is gone. Right. It's like right. almost the beginning in some ways, but the help is not there in the same way because it's not top of everyone else's mind. Right. And so I'm so glad you brought that up because it is a reminder, even for me as someone who's been through it with her, but I, I didn't live with him. He didn't take mm-hmm. care of my house. Right. And that I could do a better job of asking questions like that. And then saying like, Oh, can I research termite guys for you? Right. Send some of them over for a quote. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to do better at that. <laughs> she doesn't care about food. She just eats cheese and crackers. She'll laugh if she hears that. So <laughs> that's good point. She, I'm sure she cares about termites. So I'm exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I am so curious. There are, you guys, seriously, there are so many amazing recipes in this book. And I bookmarked some of my favorite because I want to just call them out for folks that don't have the book in front of them, but are thinking like, is this book for me? Do I need this? Um, But can you tell us what are your two favorite recipes that you wrote for this book? Oh boy. It was really hard to winnow down to to have just one book's worth of content here because there was so much stuff that I wanted to include in there. But I think to your question about... um, things that are really simple and keep really well. Um, I love the golden milk recipe, which is this mm. a little bit weird if it's not already part of your, like, you know, what you do for yourself. It's not difficult to make. It's not difficult to prepare. And it's a lovely little ritual. Like, 
you're offering someone this opportunity to kind of just like take a moment and feel good. It smells really good. It looks pretty in a jar. It ships like a dream. It, nobody has to do it. It's not going to spoil, you know, it just sort of, but it's, it's more than just like the anti-inflammatory properties of turmeric. It's, it's this like little here, try this, this, you might like this, you know? I, so I really like that. And it has a lot of endless possibilities in terms of how you can pack it up and, and give it to someone. So I really like that. And I'm kind of, um, I don't, I don't keep to one particular like cuisine or tradition or anything like that. I like kind of traveling around the world in my mind and seeing how mamas in Korea look after children with sore throats or, um, you know, how Jewish chicken soup translates to South America and things like that. So uh, I'm always looking for, for things like that, but there's a lot of recipes in the showing up for new parents, um, chapter that I really like because they're, that's a fun thought puzzle for me. Um, how you, I spent a lot of time counseling nursing families, um, Mm -hmm. when my kids were young. So it always in my head is that kind of, this person may be nursing a baby or has a toddler who doesn't like foods to touch. So it's like those recipes kind of have a, how do we make this really appealing to people who are really particular and that uh, those are the kinds of recipes that kind of have an appeal across, like oftentimes when someone's really ill, their appetite is affected. So you have to find like, or if they're really sad, you, you've got to find like interesting little ways to tempt them a little bit. So there's, I like the recipes in that chapter too. Yeah. It's called food for expanding families. And I just love that as a title. I mean, seriously, I'm not a writer. I don't consider myself a writer. I'm more of a talker, but your writing just like it did. It brought me to tears. That's just the reality of it. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, But some of my favorites, I'm going to mention a couple that are in that section, the food for expanding families, because I think this will give folks a flavor of what is in here. And yes, you know, there are a million recipes available on Pinterest, but I'm telling you that these are written differently. First of all, they're really whole food focused. I love that you don't have to like search all over the place to get a recipe, especially when you're already trying to do this work of getting things for someone. And I just really love how you've laid them out. So I'm looking right now at the carnitas, which is like says carnitas are crazy, simple, easily doubled and always devoured. And I would think they freeze pretty well too. Mm -hmm. And then you suggest serving them with roasted sweet potatoes, which can be made really easily in a batch and stored. And to your point about like little kids, maybe they'll just eat the sweet potatoes. Who knows? Or maybe they'll just eat some flour tortillas with some cheese in the middle and call it a quesadilla. But like, there's so many options to kind of like put something together with that. And then you have these awesome sounding sunset to sunrise oats, which use your golden milk. It's kind of Mm -hmm. like, um, it's a mix of oats and flax and hemp and all kinds of great things for nursing moms. So um, some of the others I really like are the life is upside down cake. That one sounds so good. And you have a gluten-free option. Is it super tasty? It is super tasty. And it's I, speaking to the time of life when you have a lot on your mind in the form of small children. I once committed to making I can't remember what some bizarrely stupid number, like 10 of those for a bake sale for our, my children's nursery school. <laughs> In the course of the 10 that I made, um, I, I don't know what we had for dinner. We probably had carrots for dinner, but um, I left something out every time because mm-hmm. I was so scatterbrained from having overcommitted and you know the time pressure of getting this stuff. And it worked every time. So it's a very forgiving recipe. I tried to be um, pretty focused on things that were really um, forgiving. Um, I I love that. But maybe my favorite recipe of the book 
is this one called Buttercream for Sadness and Cakes. And it's in the section called Food for Cheer, Distraction and Celebration. And my favorite thing about it is this is basically like marshmallow fluff with some chocolate and you're making it in a stand mixer. And it sounds amazing, but that is not my favorite part. My favorite part is that Janet has outlined, you know, there's some commercial cousins and then she has this awesomely sort of fascinating recipe that involves the liquid from beans and whipped with sugar and agar powder to make a more natural version. Cause she definitely like me leans in that direction. But then my favorite part is this third point where you go and say, go ahead and use the fluff. Life is short. Pleasure is restorative. Use the fluff. And I think that's like a great summary of the book in general is like leaning towards healthy, certainly well-intentioned in terms of like actual wellness and the healthfulness of the food, but also just rooted in reality. Rooted in reality and also in that particular notion that pleasure is good for you. Pleasure is, it can't be measured on anybody's like caloric scale or I don't know how they figure out how much vitamin A is in something, but find, that's what it, 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 I'm always trying to cook towards is what's going to make the person go, oh, because that is really important. You could talk to me all day long about how this person needs a diet that is low in X and high in Q because of their particular whatever, but they also just need to feel good. They also, food is like, it's your first experience of life. It's, it's so central to survival and that feeling of it tasting good and feeling like it's right for your body is so important. So it, sometimes that'll be, you know, the uh, bulgur wheat with flaxseed and sometimes it's gonna be marshmallow fluff. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of threading the needle between all those things, like letting the person have what they really crave is probably net more important than limiting their, whatever it is that they need to have limited. Um, And obviously there's a balance that has to be struck, but I also just don't want to like have this reputation for being all about the flax seeds. Like I eat a lot of gummy bears and I just want that to be known. Oh man. Because gummy bears are my, like my soul food. Sour gummies are life in my world. Yeah. So I'm so, with you. and I'm a big flax consumer. I love flax seeds and all that kind of stuff. But I also believe like you should have what feels good, especially when you're in crisis, you need that kind of comfort, satisfaction, pleasure, that feeling of being held by it. And that's not always going to be, you know, overnight oats. I hope it is. Yeah. Some, yeah. But. It's not for me. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that much. Uh, you just hit on perfectly the reason that this podcast is called Feel Good Family Food, because it's not just about the healthiest. It's about your sanity and the process and the connection and the pleasure and the enjoyment and all of those things that go into it. So I'm just so grateful to have you here today to talk about um, how you can help people feel good with food in times that might be harder, or maybe they're happy, but they're hard in their own way. So thank you for taking the time to come on today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. So I suspect that folks are going to want to hear more from you and they can obviously grab this book, Extra Helping by it's Janet Reich uh, Elsbach. Get your name wrong at the end. Janet Reich Elsbach, um, Extra Helping is the book that you can find if you're feeling like, yeah, I just really want to have something on my shelf that I can grab in those times where I'm like, I want to do something and I'm not sure what to do. This is the resource for you. But where else can folks find you, Janet? So I have, I, my blog continues to exist. I have a website called a raisin and a porpoise.com. And uh, I do a little writing for uh, a publication that's local to me called rural intelligence, where I'm posting recipes every couple of weeks. 
Uh, but it's all gathered together under that one umbrella, raisinandaporpoise.com is where you can find information. And I, and I post a lot on Instagram as well. Awesome. Well, I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you again, Janet, for coming on today. And I hope for anyone who's listening that really needed some ideas of how to show up for people or how to be showed up for that today's episode was useful to you. I'll talk to you again next week.